0: If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we will take the Lord's Supper together at the conclusion of the message, and so if you were not able to receive the elements of the Lord's Supper, we have deacons all around the uh, sanctuary. If you'll just slip your hand up quickly, uh, they will make sure, we have some down here and over there, we'll make sure to get this to you uh, before, just kind of slip your hand up, leave it up, and... uh, We'll make sure to get that to you before we begin. The rest of us can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Thank you, guys. We have some here on this side and in the back over here as well, Mr. Mike. All right. As they are uh, distributing those, I would uh, suggest to you that... Every church has successes, and every church has issues. Every church has wins, and every church has losses, which means that every church could stand the encouragement, and every church can stand the evaluation. I would tell you that I have never been a part of any perfect organization, not once in my life, where, where people are involved when it comes to family, friendships, churches, teams, or otherwise, even the best of all of those have issues of division. And it's very simple. Why? Because every organization has people. Amen? Our very nature pulls to ourselves and it pulls others to join in with us. And this is where we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 for our next first in this series of firsts. Paul is the planner of the Corinthian church and he writes to encourage successes and to evaluate problems. As he says in verse 18 of chapter 11, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. Unity in the body is important to the Lord. Let me say that one more time as it's very simple and very serious. Unity in the body is very important to the Lord. The idea of harmony between believers is important because God is one. He is not divided amongst himself. Even being the triune God that is distinct in function, he is one in essence. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, those of you that are in the church family of the local church, he says, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, he says, be of one mind, united in thought and in purpose. Let me make this first point as we move forward. This scripture and scripture like these assume that the believer is so plugged into the local church that they have an opportunity for division. Amen? That they know enough folks and they have enough relational equity that they have an opportunity to because they are so dedicated to the organization that God has put together. And out of that, Paul says, I appeal to you under the name of Jesus, let there be no divisions, live in harmony with each other, how? United in thought and in purpose. If you see cracks in the wall of your home, if you see fractures in the walls of your structure, what would your reaction be? Would it be one of indifference? I would suggest to you that it's not something that we want to avoid or even dismiss, even if it's not the worst case scenario. Why? Because your walls of your home are dividing. Slowly or a large part at a time, they're dividing. And the reason for that is that the fracture may mean foundational issues. And again, if the walls are all not coming down and the structure still remains, you at least may have a situation of under costly repair. And so this is why we don't ignore cracks up and down the wall. The reason why God's word speaks often to unity in the church is because while cracks in the wall won't bring down the whole thing, they can certainly be costly to the function of the home. And the reason why God's word speaks often to the unity is because, again, if the church of the living God, which is built by God, seems to fall fall apart, it gives a misrepresentation of who God is within himself. Now listen to this. For the church to live in harmony with one another... For us to live together as believers in this local church, the mind of Christ and the mission of Christ must preside over the body of Christ. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul leads off by addressing men and women in the church, teaching both men and women, within their distinct roles to subject themselves to the Lord and to honor the body by fulfilling their own responsibility of glory and unity in the church. And then Paul turns his attention to the Lord's Supper. Now, if you read this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and if you read the entire thing, you're going to come away with this idea that the Lord's Supper taken here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is somewhat different than how we take it today. And you would be right in that assumption or in the study of it. It was customary for the early church to eat together and not like we all eat together today with just these elements of the Lord's Supper that we would take at the end of a service. But Acts chapter 2 says that when the first church formed, they were devoted to learning the word of God, and they were devoted to prayer, and they were devoted to fellowship, and the Bible says, "and to sharing in meals including the Lord's supper." So they had fellowship suppers. And and much like your family does at Easter or Christmas or Thanksgiving, But they had these more frequently. And they would gather together and they would break bread together out of love and the common bond of Christ. This is called the agape dinner. And their fellowship suppers were those where relationships around the table were being built up within the church. As they were talking about things that mattered to them. They were talking about their conversion experience. They were laughing together. Relationships were coming together around the table and around the common bond of Jesus. But their dinners did not end with dessert. Their agape feasts or fellowship suppers ended with the Lord's Supper. They would take holy communion at the end of those meals. Now, this should present a beautiful picture in your mind of the church. Because not only was it just a group of people here and there that liked one another and knew one another since they grew up. No, this was people that had been flipped from their sin and forgiven of it towards following Jesus And abandoning their life. Denying self and following the Lord Jesus. This was people around the table who were rich and who were poor. People who could afford to bring food and who could not. This was people that were uh, uh, rich and those that were owning land and those that were slaves. They were both at the table. It was young and old at the table. It was near and far at the table. Similar context and background or not. Those that grew up in a religious background, and those that did not. All sitting together down at the table and enjoying each other's company with the common bond of Jesus. And to close it out, they would remember together the Lord's sacrifice who made eternal life happen for them and who brought all of these folks together. The Lord's Supper is commanded. It is purpose. It is an ordinance of Scripture, which means that it is something that we must do out of obedience to the Lord and so that we will not forget the Lord. And it's focused on the gospel. The good news for all people that God saves. All people who would live and believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and for the forgiveness of their old life and for the lordship of their new life. They were all invited to sit together to recognize God. It is a lovely observance. I mean, it really is. And as you study the the context to know that all of these folks who were once sinners and now saints and all of these with, with, with long time differences now had a common bond. It's a beautiful thing to think about that they were brought together under one umbrella of the promises of God, but all of that over time began to change. And as the people drifted from the mind of Christ and from the mission of Christ, the things of God just were not as meaningful anymore. Lord, would you help us to realize our own place Father, in this local church, God, I ask that you would give us clarity as we move about in your word. The spirit of God, you would do what I cannot do or nor anyone else, Father, that you would work in our hearts to make all of these things plain. In Jesus' name, amen. First Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 22, we'll start and stop with verse 17. The scripture says, but in the following instructions, Paul said, I cannot praise you. I'm thankful for you. If you look back to chapter 1, I always thank God for you. But right now, as we talk about this certain thing under the evaluation, I cannot praise you in this, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. Paul said this, it sounds as if, what is that? That's reputation. It sounds as if, as to say, for what I'm hearing, it would better Or be better for all of y'all to stay home than to come to church. Because you are doing more harm than good when you all get together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's not the goal of the church. To be what? To be religious persons who internalize religion and a personal relationship with God. We are to be people of faith with Jesus as the object of our faith together for the glory of God and the good of man. And you here at Lindsay Lane, all of us together, if you would call this your church home, you are part of a sizable ministry with a large number of folks here in this area. And so I would ask you, as Paul said, it sounds as if more harm than good is done. I would ask you, what are the sounds of this church in our community? What are the reviews? Because the sounds don't come from nowhere. Amen? If our church after this week, the week that we've had received reviews based on how we live in the world, received reviews based on how we speak of the church, and not just this church, but how we speak of the church and other churches, if our church was to receive reviews based on us, the things that we said, and how we lived, what kind of reviews would we get? How many stars would there be or lack thereof? This is important because we are the body of Christ. The reputation of the local church is not solely based on the leadership. However, it is a great responsibility of the leadership. But is it a responsibility shared to protect the unity of the body that belongs to all the folks that would say that this is where they grind at? That this is where they worship at? This is where they serve? The church represents a way up and a way out we represent hope to the hopeless we are to be light in the darkness truth to the lost and so our reputation shared by all of us is important this is the word that Paul was giving to the church at Corinth at this point when you take the Lord's Supper it would be better for all of y'all to do that at home individually instead of coming in here because you've made a mockery of it and that's the strong teaching that he is giving to that church, which is written to a local church, which is a reminder for this local church that all of these things that we do are not to be done in tradition and they are certainly not to be done with resentment in our heart and division and within our walls. If you have resentment in your heart or issues on your mind, let me just offer this to you. Don't immediately seek out another church. Here's a crazy idea. Work through them. With the mind and the mission of Christ, in heart and on your lips, work through them. The easiest thing is to take your ball and go home. Or you can skip on down the road to another church that also has people in it. And if you are there long enough and plugged in long enough, you're going to be faced with the same truth that you will have to deal with it or drop it. That you will under the mind and mission of Christ have to deal with the fractures and the divisions that come within relationships. And so I would even encourage you to seek accountability from the leadership to bring you to the table to work through these things. If personally you have strongholds, if you have struggles, and it's even a miracle according to you that you are here this morning because when these things happen in your life over the weekend or over the month, you'd rather not come to church at all because you know what you're going to get when you get there. I would encourage you today, thank God for you being here and for dealing with it by factoring God in rather than staying home and eating cheeses and watching Netflix. Thank God for that. Thank God for you being here because I would encourage you today that if you are having these problems in your life, don't quit church altogether. Seek more accountability and help from the church. Take another step further into a group. Start to position yourself in a place of service so that you are taking more of God's organization into your life. You see, it's... It's all not just about our individual, personal relationship with Jesus. You see, when you turn from sin and turn to God by faith in Jesus Christ, individually and personally, you are forgiven and given right standing with God Almighty through the blood of Jesus Christ. But then, God takes you from that position of where you are and puts you into a church. He puts you into a group of believers. So that you can add value to the body, amen, and receive ministry from it. It's about the corporate relationship with others. And we have a responsibility to protect the unity of the body. Verse 18 and verse 19, the Bible says, First I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. And to some extent, I believe it. Verse 19, but of course there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. Paul is saying one of the two of you are right or both of you are wrong and it will be proved as God allows division in the church. This word division is used twice in verses 18 and 19 and that word means separation. It means separation as it relates to incompatible ambitions. That two folks want to go in two different directions, but they are involved in one church and under one Lord and one faith and one baptism. It also refers to the result of factions, meaning opposing groups. That it's not just about two people being at odds, but those people are pulling folks into their circle to be at odds with them. Those that could afford the time To gather flexibly at this agape meal. Those that could not only afford the time to get there early and and to spend most of the time with the church in the early church. But also they had the resources to bring the meals and provisions for the Lord's Supper and for the feast. They were in a certain sort of group. And so over time, instead of with the mind of Christ and the mission of Christ in their heart, they began to lean towards themselves and then they would eat together instead of everybody together. And then folks were left out. And then that's when the chatter starts like, well, I'm going to tell you, if everybody else would get here on time, we would eat with them. Or if they would ever bring something to the table based on the resources that they have. I'm going to tell you, I saw them the other day at the store. I can tell you they got the resources to bring to the table when we have the agape feast. That's for sure. You see, that's when all of this starts. Because now we've got groups forming and then those who were unable to arrive with plenty of time if they were working on the Lord's day. All of those that, that could not bring something from their resources to the table for others to share. Their group began to form. And then they were like. Look at them over there eating and drinking. Like they're the kings of Christianity. Who would even want to be in that table. At that table. In that room with them anyway. And then there's that third group. That's not at either table because they've just been converted from their sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're experiencing forgiveness and God is putting them into a church. And then when they walk into the church and they see these folks over here talking and these folks over here talking, then they go, where do I sit? God help the church. Amen? Amen? There is no first class and coach within the church. Being on the same plane with dividers amongst us is not what the Lord had in mind. And the reason for the division when this happens is because the spirit of the gathering moved from corporate purpose to personal preference. That's when teams begin to form. Let me say that one more time. When we move from corporate purpose to personal preference, that's when teams begin to form because that's what's in our conversations. We talk more about what we want than what the church is supposed to be doing. For those of you with small children, if there is a division between siblings, do they keep those issues to themselves? Do they work it out amongst themselves and talk about the purpose of the family? Not likely. Let me also remind you, as it will preach, their children. What they usually would do when there are issues is one part of the house is one of them will vocalize in a urgent tone this way. Mommy! Daddy! And the sibling that's on the other side of this that is not yelled out will say something like this. What are you doing? To which the sibling filing the complaint will say I'm what I'm telling I'm telling why are they telling was to get the other one in trouble yes it is but it's also to gain someone with influence on their side you tell me that's not how it goes in organizations again this illustration is based on the immaturity of children and then they will go to the parents. And what's frustrating as a parent is they already know our mind and our mission. They already know we're not going to sit together with both of them and go, okay, you're out of the house and you get to stay. <laughs> what do we tell them? Work for peace. Blessed are those who work for peace. Like we tell them these things, right? Right. Work for peace. You, you've got to work it out. You've got to figure this out. Because we're not leaving this house. You're not going to split this house apart over this. So they already know the mind and the mission. And because of this, one of them or both of them will be wrong. So they've got to figure it out to stay in that house where there's love supposed to be. And peace is supposed to be. Paul said that divisions are allowed so that God's approval will be recognized. Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. If you read that passage, it will give you a good test of this. And I can tell you that if you read that passage, you will be faced with the following questions. Are you leveraging relationships to get what you want? Are you seeking self-glorification? Or are you seeking to please God? Know this. Make a note of it. Selfish ambition... Will always divide God's purposes for the church. Selfish ambition will always divide God's purposes for the church. So you've got to check your motives. Our actions and our attitudes in the church should bring folks together, not fracture it. Verse 20 through 22, the Bible says, When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, Some grow hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? He says, what am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. He's preaching now. He is the founder of the church, the planner of the church, with established relational influence. And he is saying... I will give you props at the front end, but it stops right here at the Lord's Supper because y'all are not interested in having the Lord's Supper at all. He basically was saying, y'all are not having church services not for real. You may be there, but your heart is not there. You may be there in attendance, but your mind is not there. It's far from God. You may be counted in number, but your desires are separate from God because all your reasons for being there in that house gathering there in the New Testament is not for God. It's for you. It is gone from the mission and mind of Christ. And now you are there for what you are there for. What once was selfless is now selfish. And Paul basically told them this. If you intended to make this all about you, you should have just stayed at your own house where it is all about you. Whoo! Now let the Word speak into our practices this morning. We can be in groups. We can be in attendance for worship and still not honor the Lord. Fear and trembling. Amen. In Acts chapter 2 verses 44 through 45, the earliest local church was founded. And the scripture tells us that the believers began to share everything that they had, the Bible says. They began to sell their land, get the money from it, and sell with those who were in need. You fast forward from Acts to 1 Corinthians and this congregation can't even share their own food. So how do you get from sharing everything for the glory of God and the good of man to those who are in need with not even being able to share your own meal? How do we teach children to share usually with their food, right? This is a basic, fundamental, elementary principle. If you have chips and you're eating in front of someone, give them a chip, right? Like I know COVID happened. My word, open the bag if someone's in need and give them a cheese puff. (laughs) This is basic. This is basic level and they've not yet reached this place where they can share with those in need. How does this happen? Will you listen to me right here? How does this happen? It happens when those who are there are more interested in making withdrawals than they are deposits let me make this general statement and I want to allow God's spirit to make this plain and personal in our own heart. Don't tell you personal unless it's personal. Some withdraw from specific ministries of this church without ever making any deposits. Some will benefit from specific ministries of this church without ever giving anything to that ministry. And as a result, the Bible teaches this, Some go hungry while others get drunk. Some have all that they need and have always had even more. And then some are hungry. What is this? There's no balance of consideration amongst the people. Some serve while others sit. Some always pour out while others only take in. Some never greet, but they are always greeted. Some never give, but they are always benefiting. Some expect you to be ready all the time, but they hardly ever show we're just preaching now. Some have taught and been, some have been taught for a lifetime, but have never considered how they could teach somebody else. The scripture says in Hebrews 5, 12, you've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching other people. Some have come to a local church for years and never welcomed a soul, but would be the first to complain if nobody speaks to them when they darken the door. You see, this is not about just your personal relationship with God. This is about the corporate relationship of a people of God. Withdrawals over deposits will lead to division every time. Every time. That is far from the mind and mission of Jesus. Because the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In this Greco-Roman culture, dinner parties often went like this. The best food and the abundance of food and drink were reserved for the highest ranking guest and for the host so that the host could enhance his own social status. But the one who welcomes us at the table became a slave so that we could be free. The one that welcomes us to the table gave his life so that we could live. We don't follow the examples of the culture in the church. We follow examples of the Christ in the church. The Lord's Supper is not even about what we do. It's about what we remember together. It's a memorial meal of the blood of Jesus our King that was shed not for himself but for you. The Lord's Supper was the king's body being broken, not for himself, but for you. And the Bible tells us that in verses seven twenty-seven 27 through 29, that if we take this today, if we take the Lord's Supper today unworthily, we'll be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no sugarcoating that. And what does that mean if we take the Lord's Supper unworthily? It means to take this meal with a prideful heart, with a ritualistic attitude. It means to take this with a spirit of bitterness still in our heart, with contention and division in our plans, or without a desire to serve as you've been served. All of this is what makes this a reverent observance and one that we must look into our own heart before we take the elements the scripture says in chapter 11 verse 29 for if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself in other words when you take the Lord's supper with division in your heart or selfishness in your heart you may think that you are possessioning yourself this day for blessing but you are actually getting ready for a whipping You're getting ready for a reprimand from the Lord as he will discipline those that he loves and who belong to him. Lord, as we turn our attention now to what you have told us to do, to remember you in this way, God, I pray that it is our heart from here forward to honor you and to honor the body of believers so that, God, we would represent truly the idea that you have in mind for the church in Jesus name. Amen. With that, I'm going to ask our worship team to come forward. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. And as they are coming forward, I want to ask you to just take this cup that you have in your hand and peel back the first layer. Just peel back the first layer. The Lord's Supper is about fellowship with the Lord. The Lord's Supper is also about partnership with the church. You can see that from the passage today. It's a memorial meal that the church takes to remember the sacrifice of the risen Savior. It remembers the body physically broken for us and for our sin. It's the cup that represents the blood of Christ which was emptied for us and when the church receives the Lord's Supper together the Bible says that we are actually announcing the Lord's death until he comes again that the church is actually practicing evangelism because of us taking it together and what the elements of the Lord's Supper actually represent that we are announcing Jesus As Savior and Lord. And as we've learned together today, this should all be done with reflection. It should all be done with reverence and with repentance, even in our heart. Before we take this, there may be a time between you and the Lord where you need to confess sin. I might add, and even go as far as to say, you may need to wait before you take it until you go to that person and you are working to restore a relationship you don't have to be perfect to take the Lord's Supper, amen you just have to be forgiven forgiven of sin by faith in Jesus and just to understand how valuable it is but I do believe that God's Word would lead us today that there is an element of the Lord's Supper that involves not just your relationship with Jesus but your relationship with others As they play over us, let's just take time now to bow our heads. To close our eyes, to focus, and to just try, Lord, with all our heart to listen to you. And not deny what you would work up in our heart, in our mind. Let's open our lives to the Lord. Lord, show us ourselves in the mirror of your word. Lord, we realize and understand that we don't have to be perfect to receive this as we are broken apart from you. Lord, in our nature, we are bent towards sin, but in our spirit, we are drawn towards you. Lord, if there be anything in us that you would call out, God, that we would be obedient. Lord, not to represent for the purpose of making it look perfect, but just to represent an organization of faithful, forgiven people who desire to do things according to your ways. Lord, prepare our heart now and our minds as we take the Lord's Supper to realize exactly what we are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. If you will take the bread in hand. The scripture says in Luke chapter 22, verse 19, that he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And now the juice. The following verse, verse 20 of Luke chapter 22, says that after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. I invite you to stand to your feet. As this is our opportunity now, to sing together one last time before we leave, to worship God together before we leave, and to respond together. If you need to take a next step of obedience, if you need to be baptized, then come and let's work through that. If you need to join the church, if you need to be saved, if God is, is clearly revealed that you are separate from him and need his grace and forgiveness to be right with him, why not have a conversation with someone today? And it could very well be today that you need to pass right on by those of us who are standing here to welcome you with a decision. That you just need to go to the altar. You just need to take your issues to the Lord this morning. Man, may this never be a place where we have stopped praying and praying for each other. Amen. Lord, would you lead us now in this invitation. God, would you take us forward, Lord, in our relationships with you and our relationships with each other. God, if you would bring us to our knees today, Lord, before we leave, Lord, would you work in us, Father, undeniably. And Lord, whatever decision we need to make, whatever step we need to take towards a closer walk with you, I pray, God, that we would have the boldness and humility to step forward. In Jesus' name, amen. This altar is open for you.